first place, my name isn't Herbert Wells. It's Herbert George Wells. H.G. Wells. In the second place, I'm 113 years old. I understand, because you know I'm partial to the writings of Jules Verne. You concocted those mendacities in order to take advantage of me. Hello, Old Sport. You are listening to I Saw It in a Movie, an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the Old Sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, and this is my film pal, The Red Herring. Hello, hello. And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. So this episode, we are joined by a very special guest, the lovely and sophisticated also purveyor of the perfect cocktail, Liz Locke of Cinema Sips. Hey, Liz. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Yeah, and Liz also writes for us over at Movie John, um, which I actually stumbled upon her because of her website, cinemasips.com. Liz, do you want to tell people what you do over there? Sure. Um, So every week I pick a movie and I do a cocktail pairing for it. So it's what to drink while you're watching that movie. Um, And sometimes it can be something that the characters are drinking in the movie. And sometimes it's just a cocktail inspired by, you know, events or things in the movie. Um, So it's just fun. I do it once a week and um, I've been doing it for about six years. So there's a lot of cocktails on there. Um, So if you're looking for a specific movie or a specific kind of drink, just use the search function and have at it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Ryan, have you ever checked out Cinema Sips? Uh, I have because as someone who's uh, like my New Year, one of my New Year's resolutions this year was actually to uh, drink more. Um, (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) um, And really, uh, and when I say that, I mean like drink more uh, spirits and less beer. So I've been actually playing around with cocktails and, uh, you know, just right now I'm just trying to perfect my old fashioned, but the more uh, confident I get, the more I'll be checking out cinema steps to find cocktails to pair movies with. Great. That's awesome. I love that. I'm not a huge beer drinker either. So um, I have a few beer cocktails on there, but um, most of my stuff is spirits. So um, that's awesome. I think we can all agree 2020 is the perfect time to indulge (laughs) in cocktail making. Amen to that. I know. As long as you can get limes at the supermarket, you should be good to go. Oh, I had the hardest time finding lime juice after the shutdown (laughs) happened for coronavirus. Um, It was it was dicey for a while. So it's been interesting during this time um, we're recording this. The lockdown is still going on, and I've had to get kind of creative with some of my ingredients because I'm like, is this really worth going to the store for, (laughs) or can I make it work with what I've got here? So I've been trying to do that. (laughs) Well, I don't know if in Texas they allow, like, you to get liquor delivered, but in Pennsylvania our laws are so crazy. Um, but I did just for the first time get wine delivered and the experience was amazing. 
Yeah, like, we, we have that kind of delivery, but I just haven't done it yet because I was so well stocked when this all started that oh, I really haven't needed to get a ton. Um, and then with our grocery stores, we can they sell beer and wine in the stores. So I just do curbside, a curbside order. And at, I thought like, I wonder if they're gonna do anything about the wine in this order. But no, they just put it in the trunk. And that was that. <laughs> that was nice. Easy. Um, but I've been tempted to try the delivery thing just to try it because you're right, it sounds kind of fun and decadent. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is. And I was surprised, you know, they actually try to pair, they ask you a bunch of questions about wines that you like, mm -hmm. um, which is good because I know nothing about wine. And they end up, you know, trying to, I guess, match your palate. So that's kind of cool. So it's kind of a little bit of a surprise when you get the box. Um, yeah, yeah, the only thing I know about wine is like what they talked about in Sideways. That's about it. <laughs> That's my wine education. So well, Liz does not drink Merlot. No, <laughs> no Merlot. <laughs> well, we are very excited that you're on the show today. And I know that you listen to the show, so you're familiar kind of with what our format is. But we do have a segment that we do in the beginning called Flick Picks. And since you're our guest, you have the honor of going first. Um, oh, so. Wow. Yeah. So what have you been watching lately? Um, something that you enjoyed? Sure. Um, so it's been kind of a crazy week. Um, Rosalie and I were supposed to be at the Turner Classic Movies Film Festival um, this week, and it got canceled. So I've really been trying to watch some of the films that we would have seen at the festival, um, just watching them at home. Um, so the one that really was a standout for me was Polyester. Um, it's a John Waters film. And they were supposed to screen it with Mink Stoll in attendance. And I really hope that this happens next year um, because that would be amazing. But um, I'm a huge John Waters fan. and But somehow I'd never seen Polyester. Um, I think... Part of me was kind of waiting to see it on the big screen um, and possibly with an Odorama card. So I don't know. Do you have? Are you guys familiar <laughs> with the movie and the Odorama thing so that they did? I have, I have not seen it yet. However, I'm familiar with the movie because there was another movie that came out last year, Greener Grass. Mm -hmm. And apparently those filmmakers, I was listening to a podcast they were on and they mentioned that polyester was a huge influence on their film, oh, okay. which definitely made me want to check it out. And I saw that I think Criterion Collection released. Yeah, um, they, they have okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely want to pick it up probably during one of the next sales because I loved greener grass. So I'm thinking I probably would love polyester. Yeah. It's just this fantastic spoof of the Douglas Sirk melodramas, um, which I love. Um, and it's really clear when you're watching polyester that John Waters loves those too. Like he gets all the little details just so perfect. Like women in peignoirs and housewives hanging out in the kitchen, eating cake in the middle of the day. Um, there's cul-de-sacs, like outdoor romantic montages, but like 
of course, because it's John Waters, he inserts his own brand of weirdness into it too. Um, mainly through like the main, the main woman character and it is played by divine who just kills it in this role. Um, and then there's also a subplot involving her son, who's the Baltimore foot stomper. He's a foot fetishist stomping on women's feet. Um, oh my god! Um, and her daughter becomes a hippie who does macrame. It's, I mean, the whole thing—it's just crazy. Um, but the thing I love the most about it is Tab Hunter plays her love interest, and his character's name is Todd Tomorrow, which is just a great <laughs> name. <laughs> And he owns an art house drive-in cinema where you go and have gourmet food and champagne and watch art house films. And oh my God. This is amazing. And I want it to exist in real life, especially now that regular movie theaters are all closed down. Um, how great would this be? So anyway, if somebody wants to run with this idea, I will absolutely go to your drive-in um, and please call it Todd Tomorrow's. <laughs> That would be um, awesome. That would be amazing. Yeah. So anyway, with the but with the the film kind of paid homage to the gimmick films of the 1950s, where you know they, they had this thing called odorama, and they would give people a card when you walk in with numbers on it, and it was a scratch and sniff card. So a number would come up on the screen, and you would scratch the card and, and smell whatever the characters were smelling in the film. So I've really, I've always wanted to see it like that. Um, but the smells were, because it's John Waters, just pretty horrible. Like the first one was roses, but then it's like gasoline, dirty shoes, a skunk, you know. So they, they lure you in with this rose smell and then hit you with the other stuff. Um, so that was, I actually did this movie for Cinema Sips, and that was the drink that I did. It was a uh, flavored with rose water, which smells like roses. So um, anyway, it was a uh, rose vodka cocktail. So if you're into yeah. polyester, check it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely need to. I've only seen uh, the, I guess, the original version of Hairspray. Uh, so uh, the website that I managed, cinema76.com, we recently did a John Waters week back for his birthday yes. in April. Uh-huh. Um so I didn't contribute a piece, but uh, the the pieces that were sent it definitely reminded me that I need to uh, you know make make room for him on my list. Yeah, it's just I think he's just so clever, and I've I've seen his live show too, and I have a lot of his books that he's written. Um, I just think like this guy loves cinema so much, and he's seen everything. It's clear, um, and he just. But he he takes what he's seen and puts his own unique spin on it. And I just have so much respect for people that can do something unique and different because, boy, I'm tired of seeing the same thing. And there's nothing else out there like polyester. So yeah, <laughs> although maybe Rosalie's like movie, I don't know. Maybe I need to check out <laughs> The Grass is Greener. Is that what it was oh, called? Oh, Greener Grass. Greener Grass. Okay. Yes. I'm writing this down. <laughs> And the way you're describing polyester, I obviously want to see it now, but I think you will like greener grass because it's kind of similar where they are putting their own spin on, I would say, 
the normalcies of mm -hmm. everyday life okay. and they're poking fun at it. So right. it's a lot of fun. And you will also like, I think, the decor and the production design. Yes. Oh, my God. D Divine's costumes and polyester. It was all these great, like, Mary Mecco print moo-moos almost. I don't know what you would call them. I mean, they're just fantastic. And, yeah, so I'm definitely going to check out Greener Grass, too. <laughs> Yeah, I think it, I believe it's on Hulu. Okay. I don't know if you have that, but also it's probably on all the other streaming platforms as well. Um, but I think it came out earlier this year. Um, so yeah, check it out. Awesome. Cool. Ryan, how about you? What have you been watching? Sure. Uh, so I picking up the my threads from previous episodes, I'm still watching along with uh, TCM's Jane Russell month. Um, so I actually just watched finally Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, um, which is the 1953 Howard Hawks, uh, I guess you would call it a buddy movie that she did with Marilyn Monroe. And I think what I really appreciated about the movie, besides the fact that like there's musical numbers, which uh, like the Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend one remains super relevant as uh, Margot Robbie danced a version of that in Birds of Prey earlier this year, um, which by default is in my top 10 list for 2020 because I've only seen eight 2020 movies. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I think what really struck me about it was one, like the Technicolor, and I think we also talked about Technicolor on a previous episode and just how much we like that look of colors that are unworldly brilliant mm -hmm. like just so bright and so colorful um it just makes everything you know that much peppier and that that much more exciting um but what i really liked about it is there's definitely some commentary in there about uh female economic mobility and even in the 1950s the easiest way to do that is to just marry a rich guy mm -hmm. um and there's also a lot of um I think it's kind of a sly celebration of female desire. There's a whole number that Jane Russell sings with uh, a Olympic swim team as her dance partners. And she's super into them. Like they don't seem particularly into her other than just wanting to dance with her. That's a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother thing, but just, you know, her being able to dance with a bunch of men only wearing bathing suits is just you know i think i think something we just need more of in cinema in general and you know it has the famous blooper that they left in where she gets knocked into the pool and then they lift her out of it and everything and it's it's just a really fun movie that is also just pretty witty and um you know i mean finding movies that are older that are also uh like sexy in ways that are unexpected is always a treat and so i just had a blast watching it now was this your first time seeing it it was Oh, wow. That's awesome. Uh, I have this movie and now I definitely want to go back and revisit it. It's been a while since I watched it, but I do love Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, same. I haven't seen it in years, but you're making me want to watch it again. <laughs> it, it's super fun. And I think, you know, watching that kind of movie right now is really just what we all need. And it's, I don't know, I, I, like I said, I just had a blast watching it. Yeah. And as you, again, you know, going back to one of our previous episodes when we talked about musicals and they're just such a great way to escape uh, everything that's going on. 
because uh, I don't know, like it's hard not to be happy when you're watching a musical. And even if it is only for that couple of hours, at least you had a couple of hours where you weren't thinking about all the awfulness outside. Yeah. And, and this, you know, also is just has a zany plot about a missing tiara and everything. And it's, <laughs> yes. it's a, there's only a couple of musical numbers, but they're all done exceptionally well, I think. Cool. Um, so to kind of switch gears, my my pick for this week is a black and white film. And as Liz was stating earlier on, we were supposed to be at the Turner Classic Movie Fest, which I am still bummed about. Um, but I know that Liz and I will be there next year. Uh, but, <laughs> but because we couldn't go, I, too was checking out some of the movies that they had on the TCM app. They recently did a TCM fest at home. So you could watch the movies from your house and they showed different films. I believe they were from like over the years of different fests. Um, But the one that I watched was the 1935 film, Mad Love starring Peter Lorre. And This is actually not the first time that I had seen it. I actually own this movie um, on a, it it came on like one of those DVD packs, like Hollywood Horror Legends, I think it's called. And it came with like six other films. But anyway, um, this movie tells the story of a highly regarded surgeon played by Peter Lorre, and he is completely enamored with an actress that has been part of a theatrical production downtown. Basically, he goes to see her nightly, like during her performances. And when he learns that she's no longer performing due to moving out of town um, and getting married, he ends up taking from the lobby the wax statue of her. So (laughs) as Ryan knows, I, similar to him going down the road of Jane Russell, I have been going down the road of films featuring wax. So (laughs) specific. (laughs) Yes. I, and this all started when I watched house of wax, um, with Vincent price, Mm -hmm. but, um, Anyway, in this film, he ends up taking this wax statue of her. They were going to melt it down. And he's like, no, I will take it. And he ends up taking it home and basically treating it like it's a person. Like, like she's living at his house. Like um, Lars and the Real Girl? or <laughs> some, Yes, yes. This is basically like a Lars and the Real Girl. So he ends up taking this wax figure home and like he he even has like his butler like dress it it's very strange but the plot thickens when this woman um her husband ends up in this horrific train accident her husband is played by you'd probably recognize him from frankenstein he played dr frankenstein but his name is colin clive and he was a, a famous pianist. Well, his hands are completely mangled in this train accident. So who does she call but Peter Lorre? And he ends up fixing the guy's hands, but ends up putting on these other, this other person's hands that happened to be a serial killer. <laughs> so this, 
So her now husband like ends up like having these feelings of like wanting to commit murder. It's just a wild story. Um, but I too, Liz, like I wish I could have seen this at the fest because I'm sure that they would have had, you know, somebody great like introduce it mm-hmm. and would have been able to give like history about the film. And that's what really is sad to me about not being able to go. And we definitely need to find ourselves there next year because it just seems like such an amazing experience. Yeah. I had a great time watching some of the, like between movies on the TCM app. Um, I watched like the live feed and they had, um, you know, like they showed people introducing things from years past and it just looked so fun. <laughs> and like Bill Hader did a really amazing Peter Laurie impression. Um, oh, really? One of his thing- yeah, I caught it. I don't remember before what movie, but um, anyway, it was just, it was great. So you just never know who's going to be there and doing cool stuff. So yes, we're going next year. It's happening. Yeah, and like I said, this movie, it was playing on the app, but it might be off there by the time we air this episode. But I did pick it up. It was, as I said, a a legend of Hollywood horror, and it came with about six other films, and it's like $20. So it's very reasonable. Yeah, and the other films, I actually bought this pack not for this film. It was a different film, Mark of the Vampire. And... I was pleasantly surprised, like sometimes you buy those packs and the movies are kind of mediocre, but every movie in there was decent, which I think is pretty rare. Like usually it's like you get a pack and then it's like the other three movies they put on there are kind of crappy. Mm-hmm. Right. But they're just trying to like sell them too. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, no, this set was really good. So I do recommend checking it out. Okay, so are we ready to get to the question? Sure. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Dear, I saw it in a movie. What's a good movie to teach me about time travel? Sincerely, I'm late for a very important date. So, Liz, we will start with you. Um, what advice do you have for this person? Um, so the movie that I went to for this, question is it's kind of an unusual one it's a time travel romance um it's called somewhere in time uh, it stars christopher reeve and jane seymour um and the reason i chose this one is because it takes a really easy kind of passive approach toward time travel um instead of relying on machines or spells or other fantastic elements um the people who time travel in this one basically just hypnotize themselves. Um, they dress in period clothes. They lay on a bed and convince themselves that they exist in another time period. And if they think hard enough and truly believe it, then they actually do travel to that time period. Um, however, they can't have anything around them that would break the illusion and remind them of the present time. So the room that they're in has to be cleared of all the modern reminders. Um, and I love this because I feel like I do this every day with my clothes and home (laughs) decor. And it's really just a matter of time before I wake up in 1966. So this movie gives me hope that it's going to happen someday. (laughs) 
Well, and I like the idea that it's not relying on like some high tech machine. Right. It's anybody could do it. Yes. And besides, you know, my interest of wax, I also have a lot of interest in hypnotism. Films oh, with nice. hypnotism are so fascinating to me. I <laughs> I just watched a movie recently where they used hypnotism to help a woman that had a split personality. Uh-huh. And I was like, I, I wonder if like that's what they really did back then. I, I mean, I guess they might even do that now. I, I just, I don't really know much about hypnotism, but I want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about it either. Um, I'll say in Somewhere in Time, Christopher Reeve records this message to himself to play while he's on the bed. It's like, you are in this hotel. It is 1912. You are waking up in this time. Oh my God. You will see this woman when you wake up, you know. So it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Um, but he has to hide the tape recorder under the bed so that when he wakes up, he doesn't see it and remind himself that he's in 1982 or whenever it is. <laughs> so, now, is um, there is there a particular reason why they want to go back to, like, a certain period or it's yeah, just an interest? So, so Christopher Reeve, he plays a, a playwright um, in, the, in 1980. I think that's what the present day time period is for this. Um, and he goes to this grand hotel on Mackinac Island in Michigan. Um, and it's, you know, a historic property, been there for ages. Um, and he walks in and he just feels like it's familiar to him somehow. And then as a lot of older hotels do, they have a little like hall of history in the in the move got just off the lobby. And when he w- goes through that, he sees a picture of a woman in the exhibit and no and just feels like he knows her and he's just drawn to her and so he just can't shake that feeling and he starts to do research on the woman and finds his name in the hotel's guest book from 70 years ago in 1912 so he knows that he was there during that time period um, so it's like a like a romantic version of The Shining. Yes, it's just, it, it really you know there are visually I can definitely see the similarities too um, with the with the hotel that they used um, and that hotel is still there that they shot at you can still stay there um, and that's what, another thing I love about this movie is it just feels like a vacation you know it's time travel but it's also just travel. Um, and it just feels like you're in this other world for two hours. Um, and the the cool thing, too, about Mackinac Island is they, they even today, don't allow motor vehicles there. So it is like going, like it's taking a step back in time um, to visit this place. So I don't know. It, the setting is like really unique and, um, and important to the story in a way that we don't always see in movies. So. Yeah, and I love that it is an actual place because mm. then you can visit. Because yes. mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I hate like when they, when like for example, Ryan brought up The Shining and yes, I mean, it is based on a place, but the hotel, like it's not an actual place that you can go and stay. Right, so that, the that's, place where Stephen King wrote, like was inspired by, but not right. the movie, lo- like shooting location. Right, so. and I always am upset, like when I Google afterwards, I'm like, can I go there? Yeah. <laughs> well, 
it's it's funny i actually have been to a location from the shining um the main road that goes through uh, glacier national park is where they shot the opening oh uh, cool cool they're driving to the hotel uh, we were out there uh, last august or, yeah last august um so i so it's there are places in the shine that you can visit but and that just that was just a happenstance but i always enjoy you know when i'm planning a trip finding some place that is connected to a movie at least mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that that's part of you know making making a stop there yeah absolutely i love to do that too so for sure uh the grand hotel on mackinac island is on my list um but um yeah, just a little more about the film. Um, like Christopher Reeve fa- does find Jane Seymour in the past, and they just have this grand epic love story. Um, and I'm not going to ruin the ending for anyone, but um, you know, they just they fall madly in love, and we know going into this that they live in different time periods. So it's really interesting the way that the the script handles that. Um, but I loved it. I wish that this was another one of those that we should have seen on the big screen at Turner Classic Movies Fest. Um, maybe they'll show it next year. I don't know. But yeah, I am wondering what they'll do next year if they're just going to like show the program they were planning to right. this year. Um, it'll be interesting to see because, of course, the theme was supposed to be time travel. So they were doing like this whole epic thing with back Mm -hmm. to the future, which is one of my favorite movies. So like that was kind of a driving force of why I wanted to go a lot. Right. And yeah, I hope that, you know, that's what they decide to do is just show the movies they were planning because I I agree. I really, and I hope that more people check out some more time because I've told people that I've watched this movie recently and everyone I've talked to is like, oh, my God, I love that movie. I remember that in the 80s. It's so great. Well, like, nobody knows about it now. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, like, I, re- I really hadn't heard of it before all of this. Um, and now it's I've, I had to buy it. I mean, I've just got to have this movie. I have to own it. I loved it so much. Um, no. And even my husband really liked it. And he's really not into the romance genre. So. <laughs> So that's now, like, did you make a, a cocktail for this one yet? I did. I did a um, like a Grand Marnier and tonic as a nod to the Grand Hotel on Mackinac. So very nice. Yeah. So and I'll say too, I I just loved Christopher Reeve in this movie. I had not seen him in anything other than the Superman films, and and he did that Rear Window uh, remake after his accident. Um, I, they was, he was a made for TV movie. Um, but those were, yep. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. But I don't I, think I've ever seen it, but I remember, you know, hearing about that. Yeah. It was a big deal when it came out and I, I watched it and I gotta say it was like possibly scarier than the Jimmy Stewart version, just because the stakes were so much higher. Like they basically mm-hmm. like unplug him <laughs> like the killer unplugs him and you see like. Christopher Reeve struggling to breathe in his chair and you're like oh my god this this feels very real you know (laughs) in a way that the Jimmy Stewart one didn't um but I mean obviously I love both but um I was really impressed by that remake um but anyway I just he's such an amazing romantic hero and I don't know that I'd seen any other of his other romance films. I don't even know if he made other ones, um, but it 
kind of breaks my heart that he didn't have more of an opportunity to make more like somewhere in time. Um, Cause he's just such a great romance hero. Well, I definitely want to check it out. I have never seen it, uh, but you've definitely piqued my interest. Yeah. I yeah, think same. you would like it. <laughs> uh, I enjoy a good romance uh, and time travel. I was excited about this question because time travel is one of my favorite uh like setups for a movie or mm-hmm. plot device. Uh, so this definitely sounds right up my alley. Yeah, and like I said, I'd never really seen time travel handled in this way where it's more of like a mental thing um, and you don't need any kind of special gadgets to make it happen. Um, no flux capacitors or anything. Just um, <laughs> just, just need just to yourself. Uh, cl- yeah, just convince yeah. yourself. <laughs> Click your heels together. Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> Which honestly, you know, Liz, by the end of all of this quarantining, I won't be surprised if you find yourself in 1966. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so Ryan, um, what did you end up picking for these, for this question? Uh, so I, I thought that because again, because I love time travel so much, there's a lot of time travel movies that I enjoy and thought about picking for this, but I settled on an old favorite because uh, it is also it is also a time travel romance, um, and so that led me to pick specifically Back to the Future Part Three, um, because well there are romantic elements to the first Back to the Future, um, Marty and Jennifer for you know not Marty and anybody else, um, <laughs> but uh, specifically the romance between um, Doc Brown and. Uh, Clara Clayton, played by Mary Steenburgen, um, that really, like this, I'm a big fan of Back to the Future Part 3. I think it's why I enjoy Westerns so much, actually, because this movie is kind of a big tribute to Westerns uh, in general and kind of has fun playing with, you know, the Doc Brown from 1955, what he thinks of a Western and how he dresses Marty and then Marty meeting a quote unquote real Western, which is also just as sanitized and not real as the 50s thought of the Western, uh, because it's still a movie and it's still, you know, like a a PG movie at that, basically. But he he wakes up in the quote unquote real Wild West uh, after getting sent back to rescue uh, Doc Brown, who's been trapped in 1885. Um, and then, you know, he, um, like the, the kind of the ticking clock for this is that, uh, Doc Brown is going to be shot by Buford Tannen, who is the ancestor of Biff Tannen from the other movies. And he, you know, he saves, um, Mary Steenburgen's character, who's a teacher. They have a mutual love of Jules Verne. Like, it's just a very sweet romance between, you know, a... A man who has been sent back, uh, you know, almost 100 years into the past and has made a life for himself. And then a woman who, you know, we find out that in the quote unquote real history before time travel, that she um, is only famous for falling into a a ravine to her death. And so, you know, the two of them finding each other and kind of having matched souls, but being from very different time periods and different points of history, but finding mutual things that they love, like telescopes and science. And like I said, Jules Verne, it's just a very, very sweet, uh, sweet romance. And, you know, he decides to 
well, we think that he decides to stay. And then, of course, at the end, they show up with their family on like the crazy t- time traveling train and everything. And, you know, it brings the whole trilogy to a close in a in a really fun way. And, you know, the whole movie is really fun. But I think this, I think even more than the other two installments in the trilogy gets to like my that de- that, that idea of a time travel vacation where like I'm going to go and see what time period was like because mm-hmm. it's not like Marty chooses to go to the 50s in uh, the first movie he just ends up there based on how Doc programs the machine so you know this this is really the you know Doc's dream of oh I always wanted to see the old west and um, you know, he gets to experience that and he falls in love. And that's, you know, you, you can't beat that in terms of story. Yeah, I love that. I've never I've never seen the third one. I've only seen that like preview that they do of it at the end of the second one. <laughs> so, And I just watched that second one for the first time a couple of weeks ago. So the third one is coming up on the queue soon, I'm sure, especially after your description of it. It actually sounds pretty great. And, oh, I'm excited for you to watch it. And the second one, I have to ask you, Liz, I mean, wasn't it eerie, like how close to, I guess, now? You know, well, like in the, the sense so, of... <laughs> the, the scariest thing is Biff. Like, right. we have yep. Biff. Biff is our president. <laughs> just, yep. Yeah, that's it was... the scariest, most eerie thing about it to me. <laughs> Yeah, after the election, um, when we were done crying, Ben ended up posting on Facebook a picture of Biff Town on Facebook. Yeah. Because he was like, basically, we just elected Biff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what's funny about that for part two is that the Biff in the alternate 18, uh, 1985 is actually based on Donald Trump. Yes. <laughs> and I did they show like they showed Donald Trump or some, or no, that it was Biff's, the casino. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God, it's like Trump's casino. <laughs> it's, it's like and the it, same font. It like, it is. very clear that that's what they, who they were referencing before anything had ever happened with him political. And I was just like, this is crazy. <laughs> How did they know? <laughs> well, Two has always had, like, I've always ignored Two because of what they did to Crispin Glover in that film, where they they basically made a mold of his face and put it on another person without him knowing, which is just so So weird. Yeah. And I remember as a child when I saw the second one, like, I just thought it was him. Like, I didn't know till as an adult that that was not Crispin Glover. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just think that is so creepy. It, it's very weird. And, um, you know, I kind of, that's one where I can kind of see both sides of that that dispute. Not um, not the, because he actually sued them, I think, for using his He did. Us, but just mm-hmm. the dispute that resulted in him not being in the movie. I kind of see both sides of where they're both coming from. Uh, but the second one is the one I've seen the least because we owned the first one on VHS and then eventually we got the third one. But the second one was one I only ever saw on TV. Okay. Um, and I feel like it never came up. Like it didn't, it wasn't on TV as much as even the third one, which is why we ended up buying the tape of that one because we had watched it so many times. Um, but the the first one is clearly the best movie in my opinion. But like I said, to me, the third one uh, just has 
you know, it just, it just has all of that extra charm to it. And it, you know, if, um, if anyone out there is a fan of the uh, like steampunk aesthetic, there's a, there's a little bit of that in this movie, which is really fun. Um, you know, Marty, uh, you know, famous for giving fake celebrity names in the past, uh, becomes Clint Eastwood. <laughs> um, and like, re- there's a lot of references to Clint Eastwood's movies throughout it. Um, you know, I think this one, to me, like I said, is a favorite because to me, it's actually the most romantic as, as um, you know, because it, the love story really is that kind of the center of it and as well as the friendship between Marty and Doc Brown. Well, it sounds well, fresh, too. Like, I wanted the second one is just a recycling of everything that happened in one, like down mm-hmm. to exact scene, like they take exact scene clips and use them again in the second yes. one. And so, yeah. yeah, number three sounds like this is something completely different, you know, something new and fresh. And I like that a lot. Yeah, it does have references to like the, you know, the, the scenes in the first two where they're like in the diner, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then the, like chase around the square. Like there's they do a similar scene to that. But again, you're in 1885. Right. So it, right. it is done. There's no cars like it's done in a different way, mm-hmm. um, which is fun. Yeah, I think with two, if I remember correctly, I don't necessarily think they were looking to make a sequel. And then the first one did so extraordinarily well that they're like, oh, we can make another one. Mm -hmm. So it was like one of those situations where I think they just like rushed to get a story together. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And and they they trapped themselves because they ended one with, you know, a joke about like, oh, we have to go to the future now because your kids are in trouble. And then they're like, okay, so we had to start two with the future, and then we had to figure out what we were gonna do. Um, but they wrote and shot two and three uh, like as one long production. So yeah. mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of cohesiveness, I think, that gives the the back end of the trilogy a fun a fun spin. Well, similar to both of you, um, do you want to hear my pick? I guess should I? Okay, so similar. To both of your picks, mine also has a love story intertwined, which I'm thinking now, like, I guess time travel just equates to love story. <laughs> Since it I'm seems a, I'm like. I'm okay with that. <laughs> because crazy. it seems like a lot of them deal with people falling in love or finding romance. Um, so I know listeners of the show, I've mentioned before, you know, I do love Back to the Future. And as much as that would seem like an obvious pick for me, I actually decided to try to find a movie that I hadn't seen before because I do enjoy doing that, um, checking out new flicks. And the one that I stumbled upon was Time After Time, which was directed by Nicholas Meyer. And I, when looking him up, I saw he was known for mainly writing a lot of Star Trek films, which I haven't watched a lot of those, but I thought that was kind of interesting. It makes sense why he would have been interested in doing a time travel film, being the science element. Uh, But anyway, this movie, it opens in 1893 London. H.G. Wells, who's played by Malcolm McDowell, has invented a time machine, and he's interested in traveling to the future, which he has deemed is a utopia. Like he has in his mind that in the future, all of our problems are solved. No one is fighting. um, Everyone is getting along, which is really interesting that that's like 
the idea he has. And I guess because living in 1893, like dealing with so many awful things like war and plague and it, it was just watching it now. I'm like, wow, he is so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but unfortunately, before he gets to use his time machine, Jack the Ripper ends up jumping in um, as a way to escape the police. And so H.G. Wells has to use the time machine to track him down. And they end up in 1979. Um, so why I think this film is a good pick when you're talking about learning about time travel is because for me, I couldn't stop thinking about how if I was going to time travel, I'd be very hesitant to go into the future, um, especially after seeing what H.G. Wells was experiencing when he arrived in 1979 and it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. There, there is a quote that Jack the Ripper says to him when they meet, when they meet up in 79, he says, we haven't gone forward. We have gone back. And mm. <laughs> yes, it really sat with me because basically Jack the Ripper in 1979 was thriving. He thought, you know, he's like, yeah, now, you know, there's violence everywhere. People have guns and people are accepting of violence. And so like he was enjoying his time there, whereas I felt like H.G. Wells was having a meltdown. This sounds frightening, Rosalie. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think this is going to make me feel better. <laughs> well, that's why I'm saying it's a great lesson though, because yeah, it, it, it got me thinking about like, wow, if I'm going to time travel, like I want to go back to a time where I know what to expect. Yes. Don't you go know? forward. <laughs> right. Don't go forward, go backward. Um, because the future like is so, well, obviously it's unknown to us. Um, um, and there are just many moments where you see H.G. Wells and like he has no idea what's going on. Like he doesn't know how to use a telephone. I mean, he doesn't even know what a telephone is. He doesn't know like about cars and driving. And what's kind of interesting that Ryan picked Back to the Future 3, his love interest is Mary Steenburgen, which I thought was so funny when I saw her pop up in this movie because I was like, wow, she really has a thing for these time travelers. <laughs> She's always falling in love with someone of another time. It's like Rachel McAdams now. She did About Time <laughs> yes. and The Time Traveler's yeah. Wife. <laughs> and we're just like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, like, so H.G. Wells, he ends up meeting um, Mary Steenburgen at a bank when he goes to, like, get cash, which is also another scary part about the future. Like, I'd imagine if you went, like, 50 years into the future, like, they're probably not even using actual bills. You know, everything's mm -hmm. probably just digital. But for H.G. Wells, he was experiencing where, like, the money he did have, like, it only converted into, like, $20, which, you know, probably for his time, that would have been a lot of money. But, to, you know, what's $20 going to buy you 
now. And he ends up having to eat at McDonald's, which that was a weird scene. Like I find in these older films, because I just watched a movie last night too, where McDonald's was like prominently featured. (laughs) And it was another like 70s film. So I don't know what the deal was with that. Like, it seemed like McDonald's was like in a lot of motion pictures in the 70s. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you picked this because, um, I mean, I read a quote that Mary Steenburgen herself uh, actually did. She did recognize when she was cast for Back to the Future Part 3 that they're very similar in that she meets a man from another time. Um, she, the man tells her that he's in love with her, but then she, but then he has to go back to his own time. And then she doesn't believe him, like breaks it off. Then she finds out that she was wrong and he was telling the truth about time travel. And then she pursues the man to, to you know, profess her love in response. Right. And so she's like, it's not even that the premise is similar. She's like, the way my character reacts is even the same. Yeah, um, it, it really is. It, I mean, obviously, yeah, like it's just kind of a different scenario in the sense of, I guess, you know, instead of having someone from the future, now it's somebody coming from the past that she meets. Um, but yeah, it just, it kept me thinking about, well, where would I go? You know, and obviously like, with things that are going on now, like sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I could just go back where there was, you know, no cell phones and internet. Um, so probably like the 80s, <laughs> like a comfort time or like a time when like I really liked the movie scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think Liz, you'd probably agree with me on this, like to be able to like experience like old Hollywood would just be so cool. Yeah, amazing. But World War Two. So (laughs) that's why, but see, at least, you know, like, okay, this would be a good time to visit. I wouldn't want to go back right when there's like a war going on or like the great depression or something like that. You could at least prepare. Whereas with the future, you would have no clue how to prepare because you, no one's been there and you don't know, you don't know what to expect. So that's, what this movie kind of taught me, because I think when you think about the future, well, I don't know how much people do at this point in time, but I feel especially when Back to the Future was made, there was kind of this grandiose idea about the future. Mm -hmm. And especially with you saying that you just watched Back to the Future too, like when he goes to the future, like it looks so insane like the yeah. hoverboards, the hologram coming out of the movie theater. And you're, it, it gives you this feeling like of hope. Like you're like, oh, it looks awesome. Yeah. Well, no. and, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, Star Trek connection with Nicholas Meyer because mm-hmm. um, he, he wrote a, a few, but the one I want to call attention to is uh, Star Trek for the voyage home in which okay. the Star Trek characters from the future travel back in time to 1986 San Francisco. Oh. Um, And they have a similar reaction to H.G. Wells where they call our medicine barbaric. They don't understand why people are cursing at each other on public transportation or just out in the street. Um, You know, they don't understand why, you know, the United States and the Russians are so mad at each other and why just being Russian gives people give you dirty looks when you're walking around town at that time. So 
it, it's kind of an interesting point of comparison that, you know, for Nicholas Meyer, the present is the problem. <laughs> I mean, not that the past from H.G. Wells is, you know, great because obviously Jack the Ripper is running around, but, um, you know, the present is, is really the problem that he's calling attention to in both movies. Well, and it's funny because, you know, I didn't mention this, but that is where he goes, San Francisco, um, H.G. Wells and the Ripper. And to your point, yeah, the present is the problem. I mean, when Ripper is running loose through 1979, it's like not even a big deal. Like, oh, he's, you know, killing a person every night. Oh, well, <laughs> because it's just become so common in the present of like murder and violence that it's not even really phasing people so to speak. I mean, yes, they are trying to solve the crime, but it's just not as big of a deal like it was in H.G. Wells' time. Mm -hmm. So it, it's very it's very interesting, you know, that it is not painting this kind of grand picture about the future. Instead, it's very grim. <laughs> mm -hmm. I really want to see this now. I don't know. Do you guys know about the Jack the Ripper Austin connection? Oh, like, I do not. So... There's a, so I live in Austin. Um, there's a rumor that... Oh, that Austin. I was thinking Jane Austen. No. <laughs> I was very Although that would be fun. <laughs> like Pride and Prejudice and Jack the Ripper instead of zombies. Um, but no, so apparently there's a theory that, Jane, that uh, Jack the Ripper left Europe and came to Texas and lived here. And there was, like I guess, a string of killings during the time that he that he was unaccounted for in Europe, so people are saying that it was Jack the Ripper here in Austin, and the city's response to it was to put up these giant—they're called moon towers—and so they're like these giant, um, like metal towers with a light at the top. Um, and you see them in the movie Days and Confused. They say "Party at the Moon Tower." Um, and Wiley Wiggins' character climbs one of them. Um, but those were originally put up to catch a serial killer, like to shine a light all over the city so that nobody would be walking home in the dark. So. Whoa, that's creepy. I know. <laughs> but cool. No, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, <laughs> Just a little trivia. <laughs> so, yeah, it sounds like we all found a movie then that we want to watch after we're done. Yes recording today which is cool yeah. yeah i think time after time was one of the last movies i got from netflix on disc um so it's been oh, that long since i've seen it but i oh, wow. do also want to read um that. i am still getting the netflix discs i'm still getting the little red packages in the mail because i'm a million years old <laughs> uh, we have a, a local uh video store that uh i frequent called viva video um so that that is some plan in my Netflix envelopes. But I was a Netflix subscriber, uh, physical Netflix subscriber for many, many, many years before they punted me to streaming. Yeah, I just don't want to give it up. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, a little, we, like, it, it seems quaint now. <laughs> I still like it. <laughs> well, we still pick up um, DVDs at the library. Which I oh, often yeah, feel I do, I do the library a lot. Sure. Which I yeah, which I feel is like going to the video store. Like I still have that feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do miss video stores so much. I mean, not only because I used to work in one and it was like the best job ever, 
but it was just so fun to just go and browse. And I miss Mm -hmm. that. So the library at least fulfills that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Before everything closed down, I had a copy of Jules and Jim that I had gotten from the library. And now they're saying, don't bring anything back or close, whatever. So I'm just (laughs) hanging on to Jules and Jim for the foreseeable future. (laughs) We have a few like that as well that are sitting in our house and they said the same, like, don't bring them back. You know, just keep them for now. So cool. So no, thank, I think these were some great selections that we had to help the listener. Yeah. Uh, so before we sign off, don't forget, you can find a breakdown of the episode on moviejohn.com, where you can also subscribe to our quarterly print scene, which actually both of you are featured in. And this issue features the future So it goes very well with this episode. Um, So make sure you subscribe to find a copy in your mailbox. You can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at I Saw It In A Movie. And if you're seeking advice, you can send us questions to dearisawitinamovie at gmail.com. We also accept snail mail or postal mail. You can write to us at P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA 19145 attention movie john and we will post all of this information on moviejohn.com just go under mj podcasts so liz where can people find you online um i am my so my blog is cinemasips.com and i'm on instagram and twitter and facebook just at cinemasips cool and ryan uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd and wherever else at Silber whatever that's with a B and you can find my writing not just in the pages of Movie John but also at cinema76.com. And as for me, I am on Twitter at Bonjour Old Sport. You can also find me on Letterboxd at Rosalie Kicks and my writing is also on moviejohn.com. Now, we like to end the show with a piece of advice. Um, So, Liz, not to put you on the spot, but did you have a piece of advice um, from your film? I do. Um, So my the quote from that I chose um, is from the professor in the movie who teaches Christopher Reeve how to time travel. Um, And he says, I would disassociate myself entirely from the present, move everything out of sight that could possibly remind me of it. And then... Who knows? Um, So I think this is really something important to remember, especially on the dark days, like the ones we've been having lately, um, to remember that it's possible to put all of the bad stuff out of your head for a little bit, move it aside and immerse yourself in a film. Um, Just become a part of that story. Imagine you're someplace else, like a grand hotel or a seaside resort, and don't take your eyes off of it. Don't look at your phone or your computer. Just remove anything that could distract you. And if you do this and concentrate hard enough, I really believe that movies can become our method of time travel. Oh, I like that. Yeah, and I agree with, I've had to put my phone and my computer away. I've been trying to do that more so at night. Mm-hmm. Just Same. because when you start digging through the news, things can just get so depressing. Right. It's so easy to become distracted nowadays. Um, 
And I just find that when I, when I put all of that away and I just concentrate on the movie and force myself to just not look at the phone while I'm watching, um, I just enjoy the movie so much more. Um, Agreed. And, and you just, you end it and you feel like, oh, God, that was such a relief. I took it, like, I took a little trip for a couple hours. That was great. And that is one of the reasons I have found I love watching silent film, silent films so much is because you really cannot look at your phone. Like, yeah, and foreign one. I've been watching so many foreign, foreign films. Since exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's great advice. And Ryan, do you have a piece of advice today? I do. Um, I have some practical time travel advice. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's all in the details. Once you've decided on your destination, you need to make sure you look the part. Um, and this this part from Back to the Future Part 3 is evidence of that. So this is in 1885 when Marty reunites with Doc and he and he's wearing a ridiculous, like I think his cowboy shirt is like pink and blue and it has like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, atoms and stuff on it. And Doc is like, Marty, you're going to have to do something about those clothes. You walk around town like that, you're liable to get shot. And Marty goes, or hanged. And Doc says, what idiot dressed you in that outfit? And he goes, you did. (laughs) Meaning the 1955 version of Doc uh, dressed him in the closest thing he could come Mm -hmm. up with to, you know, authentic Old West wear. So it's a really fun joke, but also a good reminder that if you're going to go, you know, especially into the past, you need to uh, look the part and dress the part. Agreed. Yeah. You don't want to be showing up, you know, to a time period and then you end up calling attention to yourself. Exactly. Uh, Rosalie, do you have advice from time after time? I do. And mine is compliments of H.G. Wells. He said, every age is the same. It's only love that makes any of them bearable. And this, of course, was after he realized that 1979 was not a utopia. Um, but in meeting Mary Steenburgen, you know, he realized, you know what, if you do have love, then you can survive and you can make it through. And I thought that this was also, you know, something similar to what Liz was saying with what's going on now, just, you know, staying connected with those that you love. And, you know, I think it helps like talking to people on the phone or even doing things like this, like recording a podcast together because it keeps your mind off things and it makes you remember that there are good things out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that w- I thought that was pretty relevant for now. So true. Absolutely. Well, Liz, thank you for coming on the show and you are welcome back anytime. This was a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love recording this show. It's my favorite podcast. So I'm really honored to be a guest on it. Thank you. Um, that's so nice of you to say, Liz. Uh, and I'm sure if someone out there sends in a cocktail-related question, oh yes. yeah, give me show. a call. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks everyone for listening, and until next time, remember: for every question, there is a movie with the answer. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.